Hi, I'm Mr. Kwonga. I'm Ian Wright. And I'm Ryan Hun. And collectively, we are the Stadio Podcast and Wrighty's House on the Ring FC feed. Yes, we are. And we come to you three times a week on the Ring FC feeds. Bringing love. We're bringing love and football. So if you like zooming out and zooming in on football and all the stuff around it, make sure you follow Ring FC on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. How's that, Rye? I reckon I'll do. Yeah, man. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. It is the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark, joined by new New York City resident, Nora Princiati. Hey. How is it? It's great. It's really great. It's honestly, you know, moving is such a pain in the butt. Yeah. That a funny yeah. thing happened where I just for, I don't know, several weeks stared at a to-do list and was just like, I got to do this. I got to do all this stuff. I got to get yeah. all this done. Has to happen. Has to happen. Has to happen. And then I got here and then I was kind of like, oh, yeah, I did this because I really wanted to. That's nice. So it's nice. I'm happy to be here. I have one thing on my to-do list and it's to introduce Stephen Ruiz. Stephen, what's going on, buddy? How's it going? I will say this, uh, Nora, you're now on the Upper East Side. I Stephen lives in Washington, D.C. I'm going to see Stephen in his... I, I go to Stephen's area of town significantly more than the Upper East Side of New York. I've so, probably been to D.C. I've probably been to D.C. five times since I've been to the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Didn't you used to live in D.C.? No, my fam- I have a bunch of family there. It's like my satellite city. But Kevin. so we'll meet we'll meet further south, Nora, is what I'm saying. I live here because I'm not cool. I'm not under the impression that I live in like a hot well, happening neighborhood, but I live in the right neighborhood for me. And it's I cooler absolutely now. love it. It's cooler now. I love it. I love it. And I can't wait to visit. I can't wait to visit the Upper East Side and uh, <laughs> see exciting. all see all the sites. Um, all right, go to the Met. The Met. All right. So let's do a couple of things here. We're going to do our big questions that we have. We still have going into the last couple of weeks of the preseason and into week one. Uh, but we're going to start with a bunch of news. Uh, let's start with the big one. Sony Michelle over Lamar Jackson, bad draft pick. All right. Not great. Uh, Sony Michelle traded to the Los Angeles Rams for a conditional fourth rounder. Um, there was a bit of strangeness initially that they were going to trade him for a, a comp pick they didn't have yet. Uh, that was essentially voided, and it ends up being kind of a, a conditional fourth rounder. It could be a fifth or a sixth. Uh, this was an interesting trade in that the Rams solidified their stance of just hating draft picks and not ever wanting to make another draft pick. Uh, but from a football standpoint, Stephen, what did you see here? I think it makes sense for them. I need they they need a running back, and I feel like Sean McVay is the type of coach who likes a particular style of running yes. back when he wants to run a particular style of offense. We saw that. Two years ago when they made that Super Bowl run when Todd Gurley kept getting benched for C.J. Anderson. And I think this is along those same lines. I think this kind of gives us a clue as to what kind of offense they're going to run. All right. So the Sony Michelle era 
has ended. So everybody's calling it the Sony Michelle era. And I saw a robust discussion yesterday about whether or not he was a bust. Obviously, first round pick, um, played some really meaningful games and had a nice Super Bowl, uh, but did not live up to a lot of the production from the players in that draft. Nora, where do you stand on this? Well, yeah, I mean, look, it depends a lot on how you see the credit being appropriately divvied up between that offensive line that year that they won, won the Super Bowl, and Sony Michelle was really productive, especially in as uh, the later parts of the season and through the playoffs. Because if you say that that was Sony, then I would argue there's a lot of teams in the NFL that would say, okay, if this person is going to be really productive and help us win a Super Bowl, fine. And if it's nothing else, that's fine. I think as time has worn on, and I actually, I I felt like that about the Sony Michelle pick shortly after that Super Bowl and for a little bit of time going forward from then, just because it seemed like, okay, in general, I would say that it's a bad idea to spend a first round pick on a running back. It didn't seem like his tenure was, was totally smooth. Uh, However, you know, having seen firsthand how their running game powered them to that championship, it felt like, okay, you know what? Fine. If they get literally nothing else out of this draft choice, fine. If it helps you win a Super Bowl, like that's kind of the name of the game. That said, having gone forward and especially even this preseason, look, like one of the reasons that they did this now is that there's guys like Ramondre Stevenson and JJ Taylor who have really emerged for them. And those are guys that they spent basically nothing on. And so then you start to reframe it and go, oh, this team, they don't always get the most buzz for it because it's the Patriots and it's the system. But this team has had an incredible offensive line, like a really, really, really steady, solid group for years now. And when you reframe it and go, okay, maybe a lot of guys running behind those guys would have, would have been that productive that Mm -hmm. year and through the playoffs, then it's kind of like, yikes, you probably could have gotten more value out of that pick. And then also when you put it in the context of like, could have had Lamar Jackson, starts to be a little bit of a womp womp. So I think that they would take a do-over if they could have one. I mean, the the Lamar thing is a separate bucket because Breer had reported that one of the reasons that they didn't do that was because they knew they would have to do a total overhaul of the offense in the same way that that the Ravens did. Um, And that would just have been really hard at that point when it's the last days of Brady. So it's a different deal. All right, uh, next item. Ryan Tannehill uh, is on the COVID-19 list. He is fully vaccinated, but he is tested positive, so he's out for five to ten days of practice. Their backups are Logan Woodside and Matt Barkley. Um, I did not know that that those were their backups until about ten minutes ago. Stephen and I had that revelation together while Googling. Um, You know, I I think that this is more evidence that as as normal as things can be in 2021, there's still going to be COVID-related things that pop up and and that really matter from a football standpoint. So uh, Tannehill, a week before the season, is going to miss five to ten days. Uh, obviously, we, we hope he he stays healthy and, and, and we're hoping for the best. Uh, Steven, does this, you know, we saw this a couple days ago with the quarterback competition, which is a different situation with Cam and Mac Jones. Um, but from a football standpoint, uh, what happens uh, to, to the Titans in the next two weeks? Not only did we not know that Logan, Logan Woodside was the backup in Tennessee, I didn't know Logan Woodside existed. I didn't know he was an NFL player, mm-hmm. which is a mm-hmm. problem, it, especially in this season where, I mean, I would expect quarterbacks to miss some time where they wouldn't miss that yeah. time in, in regular seasons. So it really exposes their issues. And maybe it's a good thing. Maybe the Titans, you know, maybe they're spurred on to 
to trade for a backup or wait for one to get cut and sign yeah. one because they really need to solidify that position. Now, if Tannehill stays healthy, which he's had problems doing in the past in Miami, then it won't be an issue. But if he has to miss a couple games, I don't know if Logan Woodside is able to take advantage of Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. I don't know if they win those games. The disrespect to Toledo football is yeah. uh, really upsetting, I would say. Um, did, did you yeah. have to Google that he went to Toledo, or did you know that off the top of your head? I'm going to keep that in-house, <laughs> is what I'd say about that. Um, so, yeah, no, Nora, any, any disagreement there? I mean, it sounds like I think teams without a real play and a backup quarterback need to have one, especially if you're trying to, to make a deep playoff run like the Titans are. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Look, there, there's a solid handful of NFL teams that are going to be really screwed if their starting quarterback goes down. So while I think that's that's accurate, it's the type of thing where having a really, really good backup to get you through a season if you feel like you're ready to contend, like that's one of those things where we look at and go, wow, great, great, great roster planning here. The thing that this, this situation made me think of, um, because I think there are a few other guys who are on the Titans – COVID reserve list who are also vaccinated like Tannehill is um, as well is there's a lot of sort of emerging science on what this is going to be like when people Mm -hmm. have breakthrough cases going Mm -hmm. forward that, and I'm not going to try to get in into the nitty gritty here because uh, newsflash, I am not a doctor, but there's a lot that the, you're the only non-doctor on the Upper East side of Manhattan. (laughs) Can we? Okay. I, I led you to the water on that one, so I'm not even going to try to deny it. Um, however, I was solid. Uh, there is a lot of sort of emerging research on viral load, basically. Mm. And if someone has a breakthrough case who is vaccinated, at what point are they actually super contagious? Mm. And that's going to be really interesting to see if, if, that science develops if there's more clarity on that because if these I think Tannehill reportedly feels totally fine Mm -hmm. and if we can get to a place where there's an understanding that okay like five days is fine versus if it has to be 14 days every single time someone tests positive but isn't feeling any symptoms like that makes a huge difference for a team going through the course of a season Right. Mm -hmm. So it's just the thing that this made me think of was that it's another example of, okay, we're in a vastly different situation than we were this time last season, but there are still these things where we're sort of waiting on information and understanding of, of how people are going to be feeling and how contagious they're going to be and, and could still be dealing with some of this stuff. That's a little hairy throughout the course of the year. All right. Uh, last news item the best quarterback in Colorado right now is Andrew Luck, who apparently, according to pro football talk and other sources. So apparently Luck, who spends time in Colorado, contacted a coach at Summit High School in Frisco, Colorado, and asked if he could come out to practice. Summit head coach James Wagner, quote, was amazed by how involved Luck got when he showed up, even jumping in to play scout team quarterback. Wow. I, I like this Andrew Luck kind of as football Bill Murray thing going forward where he's just going <laughs> to hop into different things and pick up that Cam Newton does this too um, or did this where he would just sort of jump into different games like yo he's a flag football game on on the sideline let's just play let's just play a couple reps uh, I like that for Andrew Luck's career Frisco Colorado beautiful place shout out Frisco. oh I forgot is there is there a ski angle here 
Yeah, that's Summit <laughs> okay. County is like huge, huge ski. Okay, so he's just out there on the slopes or whatever. I guess it's August. Can you? It's can August, you? If you Kevin. if you want it, what what if you're like a total ski sicko this time of year? What are you doing? You go. Uh, you gotta leave. The, you gotta leave the country. Um, you're going to South America. Go ski in Chile. All right, I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> um, Stephen, so you have been tackling the Broncos. Uh, speaking of of Colorado quarterbacks, you've been you've been tackling the Broncos starting quarterback battle, I guess you could call it. Um, we'll put battle in huge quotation marks. Uh, what did you see and what did you think of the decision this week to start Teddy Bridgewater? I mean, I think it's the one that is the most boring outcome just because of how Teddy yeah. plays. But I think that's what Vic Fangio is going for. Like, have you seen Vic Fangio? Have you heard him talk? He, he seems like a guy that likes steady and boring and Drew Locke is anything but that. But the thing that I find funny when, when we're talking about these two quarterbacks, we, we talk about Drew Locke, like he's this gunslinger who throws the ball downfield. And he does throw the ball downfield, but his yard per attempt average is a full yard lower than Teddy Bridgewater. And Bridgewater is like the next coming of Alex Smith. So I don't even know if we could say that the Broncos offense would be more exciting with Locke. I think it would just be worse or at least more inconsistent. Are there any expectations for you for, for the Broncos this year? I mean, I think 10 wins is on the table, 10 and 7. I don't know if that gets you into the playoffs now with the 17-game schedule, but I – look, there were three receivers on the Panthers that had over 850 yards. It was the only team in the NFL that had at least three receivers past that mark, and Teddy Bridgewater was the quarterback, so I don't see the argument that – He's going to bring down that Broncos supporting cast. I think he's going to get the most out of it, or at least more than Drew Locke would have gotten out of it. Nora, anything on the Broncos that excites you? I I think um, Steven's argument is a good one, and it's the one that I assume that uh, is resonating with Vic Fangio, right? Who would like to win at least in part with defense sort of fundamentally. Obviously, their, their yeah. skill position players are so good that – if he's neglecting to see that the offense is going to be a part of it, that's, that's an issue, but it's one that I don't think that they necessarily have. The thing is, is that I I just worry that like Teddy Bridgewater has this, has this reputation for being, you know, incredibly safe with the football. He's not going to put you in bad, bad positions. He's not going to turn the ball over. Last year, he threw 15 touchdowns and 11 picks. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm not sure that we have, this overwhelming amount of evidence that Teddy Bridgewater is, is going to be just like slow, steady, careful, not ever put them in a bad position all season long. And uh, I don't know that I, I don't think that this is like clearly the wrong decision, but I guess I see it a little bit differently where Drew Locke is probably going to make more bad plays, but he's also probably going to make more good plays. And then at least you learn something about who you have and if Teddy's not going to be, you know, the perfect Alex Smith, totally careful game manager guy, which I'm just not sure he is quite to that level, then I don't know. I guess I would would lean a little bit more towards give it a, a last run, see what you have. You will either end up with a better draft pick or more wins. Mm-hmm. I think my thing with Drew Locke is we keep playing the the upside card it's year three and he failed to beat out Teddy Bridgewater. He's been on five teams in four years and just got traded for a six round pick. Like at some point I feel like we have to give up the upside card. Like maybe he just doesn't, maybe just can't play. Maybe he's not going to pull a Josh Allen. But if we give up the upside card, then can we flip over to the 
the extreme downside card, right? Like, what yes, does it can. do for the Broncos to just be really? Ruiz is ready to flip to the extreme downside card. Sorry, go ahead, Nora. Like, what what does it do for the Broncos to to win like nine games? Yeah, I don't think it does anything for the Broncos like going forward, but it does do something for Vic Fangio, who I, who I think needs to win this season. If he doesn't make the playoffs, this is his third year. He has a four year contract. He's playing for a GM that didn't hire him. So I think yeah. that's the main motivating factor for him. Is that the best thing for them in the long term? Probably not. But Vic Fangio is not thinking about the long term. At least he shouldn't be. If he was, they would have drafted Justin Fields. or Mac That's Jones. the part that, that totally makes sense to yeah. me is, is a defensive minded head coach who wants to, you know, uh, Teddy Bridgewater is the type of quarterback that someone like Vic Fangio is going to like, right? Like, let him do his thing. And then at least ideally he'll be put in sort of safe, conservative situations. Mm -hmm. I'm just not, I'm not sure that all the pieces of that puzzle actually fit together, but I absolutely believe that that's sort of the mindset and the logic that led to the choice. I will say, Stephen, it was interesting you mentioned the Josh Allen thing because there were some parts of it on the fringe that were similar in the sense that like the Broncos fan base really believed in Drew Locke. And if you said something against Drew Locke, the Broncos would be like, no, the Broncos fans would be like, no, 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 no. Oh, you I just don't that. understand. You don't see it. You don't see it. And so obviously the play style was completely different. Obviously the talent level was completely different. The arm talent, all that stuff was completely different. But it was the same thing where you're getting these, these, the, this reaction from the fan base where you're just kind of like, oh, this kind of reminds me a little bit of Buffalo, except there was no payoff. There was no like parade of, of old takes <laughs> exposed because Drew Locke just can't back it up. So I did think that was funny. And I think that we're going to learn the wrong lessons from Josh Allen in that sense. You know, Nora and I both talked to the, the folks in Buffalo, including Josh Allen, about kind of the lessons of, of his rise. And a lot of that is infrastructure. A lot of that is just having a great roster and letting letting their, the talent flourish and all that stuff. But one lesson we should not learn, and we're learning it too often, is that if there's a bad quarterback, uh, sometimes he's just bad and he's not going to make the leap like Josh Allen. Josh Allen is a literal, like he's one of one. He is one of one. Everything right. he did uh, was completely against the, the run of play, so to speak. Um, and so I, he is a, a singular talent. And we can't just do this thing now where we give every quarterback three and a half years to bloom because Josh Allen was bloomed, right? Um, so whatever. Uh, last thing, speaking of the Bills, Isaiah McKenzie. Uh, was fined for not having a mask indoors. They found they found uh, two separate incidents uh, in one day, I think, uh, where he was not wearing his mask indoors. Uh, in the process of trying to show everybody this letter that he found unfair, he uh, revealed his own Gmail address. <laughs> he doxed himself. And also, like, what was he going for by posting that letter? Did he think he'd get sympathy? From anybody but Cole Beasley? I don't know. He, I don't know if he got sympathy, but he certainly got a lot of Gmail messages, I'm, I'm assuming. Did he get the Cole Beasley quote tweet, though? Did he get the, the retweet from Cole Beasley? He did. Oh, nice. He did. Mission accomplished. I, 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 I did see that. I did see that. So then Cole Beasley signal boosted him doxing himself. <laughs> that's that's correct. It's not ideal. Do you guys have any embarrassing email? Like, do you have, like, weird AIM usernames? Um, oh, gosh. Um, no, my, my first couple were about hockey. I was yeah. a big ho youth hockey player. <laughs> I don't, did you have a bad one? I had one that was like, like, ra like rainbow puppy, something, something. Okay. That's not too embarrassing. Steven. It was not great though. I didn't have one, but I'm going to throw my brother under the bus. He's a Jaguars oh, yeah. fan. And Heck for yeah. Oh, yeah. when he was in high school, his thing was Jags fan, but wait, the fan was spelled with a PH. 
Oh, wow. Oh. He eventually grew out of it and went to the F, but I think he needs to grow out of the whole Jags fan persona in general, which he has yet to do. So I'm trying to put a positive spin on this for Isaiah McKenzie, although, I mean, look, he should have just been wearing a mask and then he could have avoided this whole kerfuffle. But if you're going to self-dox, probably better to self-dox with just a sort of straight down the middle email right. address instead of like right. Power should, Ranger 92. Right. Should should okay. we send should we send him a, a podcast invite for the next episode? Just send him a Zoom link and just see what yeah, happens. Yeah. yeah. Send him uh, one right actually, now. Stevie just pops no. up. <laughs> I think the answer is no, actually, Stevie. I think it's yes. What exactly would we Arjuna, want to ask Isaiah, Isaiah McKen- thoughts? Well, I, I just, I feel like uh, just with the contents of, of the initial email, um, you know, that, that conversation can get fraught very quickly. That's fair. Maybe it's a slow news day. <laughs> we have a, Maybe uh, it's a slow have, news day. We have an NFL uh, player coming on next week. It's exciting. It's not Isaiah. I, I believe the player is fully vaxxed. So no questions about that. Nice. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. All right, let's get to our uh, our big questions. Uh, there are a lot more questions and answers, I think, going into the next couple of weeks. Obviously, the third preseason game will answer almost nothing since most teams are resting their starters. And then week one is uh, just 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 short two short weeks away. Uh, we have a holiday weekend before that. But yeah, it, it's it's coming up on us. Steven, your first question. My first question is, can the Bucks stay healthy? And I asked that because last year they were number one in football outsiders adjusted games loss. And they were number one by a wide margin. And when you look at this depth chart, obviously, I think they have the best starting lineup in the NFL by far. I don't even think there's an argument, but they don't really have depth and they don't have depth at some key spots like cornerback safety, mostly on defense. And they have they're relying, obviously, on a lot of older players, their pass rush, Shaq Barrett, Jason Pierre Paul, and then obviously Tom Brady is what is he 45 now? So if this team suffers a significant injury or two, I mean, maybe one of those teams in the NFC South catches up to them, but I don't know. I don't think the South is as competitive as it was before. So it may not be as big of an issue, but it does hurt their chances of getting home field advantage. Tom Brady is 44. How dare you out of here, Tom Brady? Um, Nora thoughts on this? Because I, I listen, Injury luck is a very, very real thing, and it can really bite you. I remember when the Eagles were on top of the football world, um, there were a couple of stories about the Eagles had solved had solved injuries and all this stuff, and they had some great medical team. And then a year later, they had they were close to the most games missed, and obviously they had some right. real big stars who, who who just had awful injury bugs, right? Um, so it's real and the depth is interesting. As Steven said, they do have the best starting lineup in football. Where are we on just the bucks, the way they're constructed. And also the fact that, I mean, it is, is at the end of the day, a bunch of veterans. Yeah. Look there. Um, I think the, the, they were the fifth oldest yeah. team by snap weighted age and other football outsiders mm-hmm. stat last year. They are in Florida though. <laughs> I, I wish someone, can somebody do research on this? Actually? I'm really curious. Uh-oh. Because old people go to Florida and like that's humid, yeah. it makes their bones feel better or whatever. Uh-huh. Are are sure. the Florida teams on average a little bit healthier? 
Can we get, can somebody research this? Can we get somebody on this? Can we get the CDC on this? Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Did you just say that old people go to Florida because it makes their bones feel healthier? (laughs) Is that why? I'm I'm pretty sure that's why Brady went. I've never heard of cold bones in New New England. I thought it was like a. I lived in Florida last year. I've never heard that the humidity makes their bones feel good. How did your bones feel? Not that true. My bones felt strong to very strong, but I I don't think that I don't think it was the humidity. I think it was just I have just great bone integrity. You don't think that if you're like a little bit arthritic, it's nice to be in a warm, humid climate. I don't know. I mean, this sounds like how they like I was reading about George Washington a couple months ago and their prescription for anybody who had a serious illness was just go to like the Bahamas and just just dry out for a while. This sounds like pseudoscience to me. Which is perfect for. <laughs> you think bone I think, integrity? I think pseudoscience I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let is that generous. Be. I'm going to let that be. I'm going to let that be. <laughs> and just say, which is perfect for for blank. Do you think um, bone integrity is a big thing in the TB12 method? Do you think? Yeah, it matters? Uh, I would say yes because well, it, the the big thing is that they think heavy weights stru- damages the structure of the bones, right? That, that weakens your ligaments. Thing. Yeah, we, weakens your ligaments. So it is. Yes. So did Nora just accidentally? Crack the code of why Tom Brady is there. I think I kind of did. Bone structure. We have an article from Arjuna. What does it say? It says that the link is not conclusive between humidity. Um, That's never stopped Tom Brady in the past. But but hold on. It's saying that there's no conclusive link between humidity making your joints hurt more. But it says people with arthritis often notice a connection between humidity or temperature and joint pain systems. This is the epitome of Nora doing her own research, is I think what's <laughs> happening right now. This is what we're saying when we talk about doing our own research. All right. Never a um, good idea. Anything else on the books before we we dive deeper into libel? <laughs> Does any team have a chance of catching them in the a- NFC South? Yeah. So actually, we're gonna do a uh, we're gonna do a Chiefs topic in a second with Nora, and I want to have this discussion because I we can have it now. I was gonna do it in a second there. Um, I think we we all agree that. The Chiefs are the best team in the AFC, and the Bucks are the best team in the NFC. And that there's, they're, if we had to guess, they'd, they'd probably meet in the Super Bowl, right? Um, even though I think that the Packers, I'm predicting the Packers. Um, who's in that mix to catch them, Norm? Well, I think the Packers are absolutely in that mix, right. and but how deep does that, that is, go? I, I can see, I can, I can certainly see the Seahawks. I can sort of see. An outside chance for the 49ers, although I think that that's, that's at least a year away. Um, the Rams, I can see. Sure. Then it starts to really, um, really drop off. I mean, I think the Cowboys, because of their quarterback, the high end, yeah. the absolute yeah. high end of results there is capable of competing for the Super Bowl. But it, that's, there's a <laughs> lot of really negative outcomes that could happen there. So I think that's kind of the it. facial reactions in the boxes right now are me furiously shaking my head no, <laughs> and Steven shaking his head yes because he sees me shaking my head no. That's what's happening to this Cowboys. No, reaction. no, I w- I'm agreeing with Nora. No, no, the Cowboys are that high variance team that can come out of nowhere if the defense is fine. If the defense is fine, which I think it could be fine, that offense has a very high ceiling. Maybe the ceiling has the best offense in the NFL. I agree. I said that last year, and then. They were just got awful. And by the way, well, Dak Prescott didn't play, but the Cowboys are like Josh Allen. 
It's like right. an incredibly low percentage chance that it works out as well as it possibly can. But if it works out as well as it possibly can, it's really, really, really good. Okay. I agree with that. Couple of things to note. Number one, Adam Schefter. You agree with my Cowboys are Josh Allen take? That's a win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Number one, Adam Schefter comes out and says that Dak might not be healthy the entire year. The amount of weirdness. So he did seven on sevens this week. I understand that there's been progress. The amount of weirdness around this injury has been astounding. I just don't think, I think that the only path forward for them to have actual legitimate, like a contention level season is for Dak Prescott to be flawless and perfect and everything else breaks right. And it sounds like there's not a huge path to that. Sounds like he might be banged up all year. And then Mike McCarthy's still a bad coach. The defense's ceiling is probably to, to be fine, to be fine. I really mm-hmm. like the way that they operated the draft, and I think they will, they will be good at some point. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't see it. I don't see it. I, I thought, listen, coming into this year, I had really high expectations for the Cowboys, but they were all, and by the way, I still think just because of the way this, this is sorting out, I still think they have a very good chance of, of winning the NFC East. I just think that's a completely separate conversation than can they, can they win the NFC. The NFC East is in the Conference USA role right now where it's just like, yeah, whatever, man. You won. Congratulations. You won. I, okay, but here's the thing is that so that's reasonable in that they need so many things to go right, but they still have the ability if those things do go right just because of how good Dak is. I agree They could with that. beat a team like the Bucks. Like, for instance, okay, I think there's a decent chance that the Vikings have a better record than the Cowboys this year. But I don't think the Vikings can win the Super Bowl. I don't think there's a world in which that happens. I think there is a world in which enough things go right in Dallas that they're really, really, really good. Yeah, I get the concerns with Dak. Dak being an MVP candidate is on the table, at least. And if he's an MVP candidate, Dallas is good. It's always on the table. Like Daniel Jones being an MVP is not on the table. Guys, we just did Hard Knocks for a month and the highlight was a drone video. That's all you need to know with the 2021 Cowboys. Everyone's like, uh, the drone video was very cool. It was very cool. Okay, but all you need to know about Dak Prescott is that we just did Hard Knocks for a month and the highlight was a drone video. And yet it is still conceivable that if he has an MVP season, the Cowboys would be a Super Bowl contender. Has, has anyone looked into how Hard Knocks correlates with team success that following season? Uh, well, the, didn't the Jets make the AFC Championship game after theirs? I remember that. Do you guys know the Spurious Correlations website? No. Uh, no, it's just a website that like takes bajillions of data points and finds um, like graphs that match each other. Mm-hmm. So it'll show you, uh, you know, rate of failures <laughs> at driver's license tests in Missouri is like strongly correlated with potato chip sales. Is, is that how you came up with the humidity and injury thing? Yeah, it's so not. <laughs> it's not, but that's a fair question. Um, the Bears have waived Javon Wims, so who's gonna who's gonna do their fighting this year? <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. 
This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Let's move on from. I, I actually wanted to do. There's a very funny Simpsons joke about uh, specious reasoning about a, ti- a rock keeping a tiger away, but it would take 90 seconds to do the whole joke. So I'm just going to move on. Um, Stephen, any other thoughts on NFC contenders that can that can seriously touch the Bucks? And by the way, by the way, uh, are we all in agreement that the NFC South champion is going to be the Bucks? Yes, right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Just want to make sure. But any, anybody else there in the NFC, Stephen? We should be talking about. Uh, I'm just going to throw out the Cardinals just because maybe Tyler takes a leap. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't have a lot of faith in Cliff, but I I think it's on the table. There's like a 2% chance, which I is more than I could say about other teams. I've thrown out the Cardinals, but I meant it a little differently. I think there's like a 5% chance that the Cowboys win the NFC, but which I would not. I, but I think that the other, the other teams in this bucket, the Rams, I think the Niners have, have a, a better chance because I just think that Trey Lance shows us anything. That that roster is much better. The coaching staff is much better, and then the Packers, <laughs> obviously, and then, then the Bucks. That's about it. Uh, all right, Nora. First question. Well, so let's 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 keep it in the NFC um, because I do have a question that's a little bit similar in in the AFC um, about challengers to the Chiefs. But one of my unanswered questions that, frankly, I had hoped would be answered with some clarity by this point in the in, through training camp in the preseason is. Who's the Saints starting quarterback? And I think a lot of people think that it is now clearly Jameis Winston oh because Jameis on Monday was looked yeah. pretty good. Um, nine to 10, 123 yards, two touchdowns. They beat the Jags. Looks sharp. Taysom has looked iffy at best. Here's the thing. So preseason week three, they're playing the Cardinals. It's this Saturday. Uh, Sean Payton has not said who's starting that game. He has not said who the starter is for the regular season. And he has continued to be incredibly like cagey and disinterested in acknowledging that Jameis has played well or talking about their timeline for naming a starter. And it is, it is making me, it is giving me like sort of red alert, blinking, Mm -hmm. scary lights. Because my question is just, 
if this is so clear cut, why won't they let it be clear cut? And if they won't let it be clear cut, is Taysom still in this thing? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> Steven, you want to break down the Saints quarterback competition? I feel like the explanation to Nora's question is like just Sean Payton. Sean Payton weirdness. Like, I'm not going to try to get into the mind of Sean Payton. I I feel that's not a place I want to be. But as for who should win the job, I feel, yes, I would say it's pretty clear cut. Like Nora said, like Jameis looks like a quarterback. Taysom Hill does not look like an NFL quarterback yet. He just doesn't look like a guy that can play 17 games. I would go with Jameis. So I'm totally in agreement with you. Like the reason that this is an unanswered question to me, it's it's not like who has emerged as the person who should start for the Saints. It's why isn't this thing wrapped up already? And I guess the fear, although I think one of the biggest positive developments is that Jameis has looked really, really, really good um, thrown to Marquez Callaway and they need receivers like something bad. So that's that would be really significant. My worry is that they're looking at the rest of their roster and Michael Thomas is going to be out until at least October, if not longer, the depth, like the depth in the receiver room is, is really, really bad. And my, I don't know, I guess there's some logic to this, but it it makes me wonder if they think about, they're not just thinking about like, okay, who's the better quarterback here, but they're also thinking about what type of offense they want to run. And if they want someone who's going to, influence the running game a little bit more and work in the short area, rely a ton on Kamara. Maybe then you start seeing a world where it's like, okay, Taysom fits this, this situation a little bit, bit more. Do, do either of you see any logic to that? Or is this just like, I should wait until Sean Payton just says something and not try to inhabit that mind space. Yeah, I was going to say the reason it's still an unanswered question for me is because I refuse to look at it like the Ark of the Covenant and Indiana Jones. Just like, I'm just not, I don't, I just can't <laughs> stare straight at the Saints quarterback competition. I agree with Steven in this. It's part of it's a Sean Payton weirdness. I was at the first preseason game where they had six turnovers and there was someone in the press box. I'm not going to say their name, but after like the fifth turnover, he just loudly said, I can't believe we risked COVID to watch this. <laughs> and that's sort of how I felt. Like we're indoors, right? We're all masked up. But like that's when I'm watching this, when I was watching Saints, the first preseason game, I was like, okay, fine. Obviously, the the way it developed uh against the Jaguars was different. I agree it's gonna be Jameis Winston. Um, but I I just don't have all that high expectations. Steven, anything there? Yeah, like I, I've heard the arguments for Taysom, and I think the best argument is the one Nora laid out. It's like designing the offense around the run game and playing 11 on 11 in the run game. If Jameis is back there, the defense doesn't have to care about him when, when he hands the ball off. But the other argument has been Taysom is more, it's like the Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke thing where Taysom is not going to turn the ball over as much. But Taysom fumbles every time he gets touch, touched, and he gets sacked a lot. So he's going to fumble a lot. Like his career turnover worthy play percentage was. I think it's a PFF stat is only 1% lower than Jameis Winston's in, in the season where he threw 30 interceptions. So that's mm-hmm. one turnover worthy play, not even turnover, turn, turnover worthy play per a hundred plays. I don't think that's a big enough difference to justify playing a guy that can't play quarterback. Playing quarterback is a great prerequisite towards being a quarterback on an NFL team that has high expectations. Is what I'd say it. about that. All right. I'm going to do my first question. 
I didn't exactly know how to phrase this or frame it. Um, I'm just going to let it rip. Are we sure Urban Meyer is having a good time? So. <laughs> I'm sure he's not. I personally would posit that he's having a bad time. So are we sure Urban Meyer wants to be here? So uh, he gave two interviews before the preseason game this week um, against the Saints, where he talked about his viewpoint on the college game. It was really interesting. The interview itself is really interesting. He talked to Breer, and he said that the college game and the NFL game has never been closer, which is something that I've certainly been talking about for a number of years. There was kind of a great merging of schemes. Um, he basically said he didn't want to recruit 24-7 like he had to at Ohio State. He obviously admires what, what Ryan, Ryan Day has been able to do. Um, he's been researching a lot of the great NFL teams over the past couple of years, something we've known about for a couple of months. But what was interesting, and there's a couple of these things. Number one is there was an anecdote in the Peter King column that sticks with me, which is that Brandon Linder had to basically tell him to calm down and relax because they lost a preseason game. And oh, Urban no. Meyer's not used to losing. And And I understand that he's trusting the process and all that stuff, but like he's wearing it on his face. He's wearing it on his face. And then the second part of this, and I'm, I was pro Meyer and I have been as far as I could, I think this can work. But what was interesting in the Breer column in particular is I thought that he was, he was obsessed with building a culture, which is correct. You should be culture is, is probably the, the one B on the list of things of, of why teams win. But it seems to me that he's not necessarily emphasizing the X's and O's part of it. Um, and, you know, you hired Daryl Bevel, Brian Schottenheimer, all that stuff. That's what you hired guys with NFL experience. And I, what I can't tell right now is whether or not it's going to be Urban's offense or Bevel's offense or a mixture of the two. Because I, when I was in on this idea, I was thinking it was Urban just scheming it up. And I, I, the more I read, the more I think it might just be Urban as chief culture officer and and Bevel and Schottenheimer scheming it up. And I'm a, I'm getting a little bit worried in that regard. I still think this can work. I think Trevor Lawrence is generational talent. Uh, but man, Urban Meyer is wearing it. Stephen Ruiz, what have you seen? Well, I, I don't think Urban has been a guy that schemes it up since like his days at Bowling Green. Like he's he's hired well, offensive no, but, coordinators to do that. Yeah, for um, him. D- D- Dan Mullen obviously um, was key to those Florida things. But I'm saying that he at least he was instrumental in the development yeah. of the spread offense. And he kept tweaking it up. He had, there's a reason that Ryan Day was promoted and, and had that stuff. But I'm just saying that that in the same way, I mean, Belichick doesn't sit there right. most years and just sit there and be the defensive coordinator. He just understands how to run a defense. I'm not saying he, that, that Urban Meyer needs to be in the lab coming up with man beaters. But what I am saying is that this needs to be Urban's offense. Yeah, I think that's why I was optimistic about this hiring. But... The fact that Urban has been taking this time to study the great NFL teams and then his conclusion was get me Brian Schottenheimer and Daryl Bevel is a little concerning to me. When that when right. if that's going to be his main function as the head coach is hiring the right people. I do like what they did on defense with the defensive staff and kind of borrowing that Raven scheme. But yeah, offensively, it just doesn't look good yet. And it's still preseason, but even for preseason, it's not, it hasn't been encouraging. The same conversation happened with Chip Kelly before his Eagles debut because he showed nothing in the preseason. So there's the chance that this is, is so vanilla uh, on purpose and that week one, he's just going to be running, you know, th- these incredible, incredible spread plays that just blow our mind. That's there's a chance of that. The difference is Chip 
was calling the plays and Urban won't. Correct. So that's the big difference. Correct. Nora? Well, and, and that's the interesting part, right? Is because this offense in the preseason has been like vanilla as all vanilla. They are, you know, they were missing Linder and Norwell. They're missing two offensive linemen um, when they played the Saints. And it was still just like, oh, great. So your entire offensive line is totally banged up and you're just going to run it up the middle over and over again. Like, I don't know how this is going to work out. We don't know who's responsible for that. It seemed like, I think after their first game, Meyer said something about, I don't have the quote right in front of me, but he said something about like, I don't totally ascribe to, you can't show everything during preseason. Like at some point you have to try stuff. This has been, we've been like bland on offense or something. Um, they've continued to be bland. So that's a little bit concerning. Uh, so that kind of goes two ways, right? It's either this is what Urban wants or this is not what Urban wants and we're heading for conflict, right? Because like, mm-hmm. okay, yes, Bill Belichick is not necessarily, you know, calling every defensive play and not letting defensive coordinators do anything in New England, but Bill takes the headset sometimes on defense. Sometimes he's That's like, right. no, I'm just doing this right now. But he has the cachet to do that. Um, and even though he does, it's still something that like at times... That's rubbed people the wrong way, you know, if, if things aren't going well and the head coach is just like, no. Isn't his big line, uh, okay, we did it your way, now we're going to do it my way? Yes. I've heard that from people. Is that, yes. that's, that's, this, that's when you know it's over for you, for at least for a couple of weeks, is when Bill says, all right, you, we've done it your way. Like, that's it. That's, right. that's okay. You're in timeout for three weeks. No more schemes for you. You're in scheme timeout. <laughs> but, so, okay, is, is Urban Meyer, how's it going to go with Urban Meyer puts one of those guys in scheme timeout, right? Like, we don't know. And we've already had this weird situation where, like, the most obvious non-quarterback competition was portrayed as this, like, big competition, and we don't know who's going to start, even though we absolutely do. And it it just seems like I'm not sure... I'm not sure either situation, if he's just, like, chief culture officer or if he's scheme lord. Like, both of those have their own issues right and the vibes remain questionable also this gave me an excuse to go back to mark long's twitter account drew Brees. no that jaguars practice Uh uh-oh the the vibes any better are there oh wow i don't know is drew Brees in a jags hat and t-shirt are those vibes good what what is the what is the connection between drew Brees and the current jaguar staff this is outrageous. I, I'm not sure. He's like wearing full Jaguars. He's wearing a full Jaguars outfit. Is he just there for NBC? And he's decided to wear team gear? <laughs> How long until like, he's calling plays? That's that would be great. So I, I, I will that's say bad this journalism, about that. Drew Brees. He's I, talking I, to the team. He's, no he's cheering giving in an He's giving a team talk. He's giving a team I'm talk. I'm looking for people. I'm looking for people. Schottenheimer, no. I don't think there's a Daryl Bevel connection. I don't think there's no urban Charlie Strong connection. I I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm I don't know. Uh, but what I will say is that the gear thing, I was years ago as at the Senior Bowl, and if you've ever been, everybody's wearing team gear, and I noticed that there were guys who had recently been fired by their teams, assistants, head coaches, whatever, and they were still wearing the team gear. And I said to someone in the NFL, I was like, why are these guys still wearing the team gear? And they were like, the most important thing in the NFL is free shit. By far. That is the most important thing. So Those Drew shirts Brees are wore, expensive. 
They are. Um, and, you know, if you go out and you get a polo of that quality, you're looking at like 120 bucks. So, yeah, I'll wear the wear the damn Falcons thing if they just fired me. <laughs> Whatever. Who cares? Um, so Drew Brees, you know, you get a nice little Jaguars hat. I love it. Put it on. Most important thing. Free shit. Remember that. Remember that, kids. Uh, all right. Nora, what's your next question? All right. So my next question is... I think the way that I really want to talk about this and frame it is, is there an AFC team who can genuinely challenge the Chiefs? And within that, the central question is actually less about the rest of the AFC to me and more whether the Chiefs looking shaky in the preseason matters even the slightest bit, right? Because they have not looked good. Like Patrick Mahomes is going to start the third preseason game. He has not done that before. And he's doing that, um, Andy Reid said, because they just have not gotten in any semblance of a rhythm. So their second game was against the Cardinals. He was 10 of 18 for 78 yards, threw an interception, no touchdowns, looked incredibly disjointed. And it looked to me like he just, just didn't know, he didn't know who to throw to. And the interesting thing about that is that, so Tyree Kill had a, a strained hamstring and they held him out mostly as a precaution, but he wasn't playing. And this is a team that, you know, you're working without Sammy Watkins now. And, and this, trust me, my point here is not that Sammy Watkins was the straw <laughs> that stirs the drink, but it brought up for me the question of how fragile is this thing? Because I am certainly of the mind that if the Chiefs are, are firing on not even all, but like most cylinders, you can kind of pencil them into the AFC championship game, if not the Super Bowl, right? But it just started bringing up to me a world that I haven't spent very much time thinking about, right? Which is, are they a couple star player injuries away from Mahomes not being able to cover up for everything anymore? So I'm curious, first of all, if you guys think that that's a total overreaction to the preseason or if you think that there's any logic in that. And then we can talk about sort of who might be able to take advantage if those cracks are legitimate. I would say if Tyreek Hill goes down or even Kelsey, I think those two are the the guys besides Mahomes, obviously, that make that passing game as hard to defend as it is because you can only double one guy and it's usually Hill. Right. And if you lose that and you can all of a sudden double Kelsey or vice versa, mm-hmm. where does where does Mahomes go with the ball? Like he needs someone to throw the ball to. I know he, he makes these crazy plays, but if no one's open, there's only – so little he can do. So I do think that's a legitimate question, especially now that the the receiving depth is has been depleted, basically. You, now you're relying on Miko Hardman to be your number two guy, and I think that's dicey. I like Hardman. I think he's going to have a good year, but I can understand why that's dicey. I agree. I I, I think there's a there's a sliding scale of, of the amount of things need to go wrong for Mahomes to stop being able to paper over everything. And I actually don't know what that is. And I, I'll know it when I see it. And I think that, Stephen, if... So let's just play a game here, okay? Let's say the offensive line is, is healthy as currently constructed, but that includes... I mean, Kyle Long is going to be out for a while, so they might have two rookies starting week one, okay? If, if one of those two guys, Tyreek Hill or Kelsey, gets a significant injury and misses half the season, are they still the best team in the AFC? If one of those guys goes down. Uh, I, I have a hard time counting them out. Like they're like the Patriots for me now, where even if they look bad, we know they're going to figure it out eventually. And I think the question really comes down to, and it's, I think it's Nora's question is like, is there another team that steps up? Cause I do think a team has to step up to catch them. Even if they take a step back, 
whether it's the Ravens or the Bills, I think if one of those teams is better than they were last year, then yes, I think they're in trouble of losing that top spot in the AFC if they have an injury like that. Handicap that for me, Nora. Like who who who's the if it's if not the Chiefs, then who? I'm inclined to think. I mean, so the the contenders here: Buffalo, Baltimore, Cleveland. I think of those teams, I'm going to go Buffalo. Steven, do you agree? I'm going to take Baltimore. I okay. I don't like. I understand that argument. I think like Buffalo is right with Baltimore. I would take Baltimore just because I think we've seen the worst that that offense can be last year. Like they, everyone was asking what's wrong with the Ravens offense in the middle of the season. They still finished like sixth in EPA and like fifth in DVOA. They still had a very good offense. Whereas if, if Buffalo takes a step back, maybe Josh Allen, I don't think he's going to regress that much, but I don't think, I think he's going to have a hard time matching what he did last year. There might be a, a few more interceptions. There might be less touchdowns. And I think if that happens, Buffalo's defense is not good enough. At least the, the defense we saw last year was not good enough to make up for that. Whereas with Baltimore, I think the defense is very good. It's going to continue to be very good. All right. Nora, if if I if I was about to send you an Isaiah McKenzie style NFL fine letter, and you're because you're you are on notice that you cannot pick any of the teams you've already named. Okay, I'm about to dox you. Um, no. if I was about to send you that letter, um, because you're not allowed to pick any of those teams you've already mentioned, but you have to pick an AFC champion, who have you not named that you would, uh, th- th- that you would handicap there? Uh, the chargers. Okay. Why the chargers? Well, look, I mean, why not the chargers, right? Like they have yeah. a quarterback, they have, a, it, it's a little bit of a star heavy roster, I think, but they have some great defensive players. Yeah. You can, you can see them doing it, right? Like you can yep. see Justin Herbert being a really, really productive quarterback, someone who's capable of going throw for throw with, you know, maybe not a full strength Mahomes with the full complement of that offense. But if there is a weakness there, I think he could be capable of exploiting it. And then you've got the pass rush, right? Like I think that defense is pretty high variance. Like it could go really well. It could go not so well, but you know, good defensive coach who I think is, is trustworthy to, have a good scheme there and take advantage of, of those players. And I think not only are they just sort of high enough caliber as a team, it's also the type of team that I can see being able to pick off a sort of weakened chiefs team. I want to be very clear, particularly yeah. because I'm now incredibly nervous that we all were like, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe there's, there's a weakness there. The chiefs are probably going to win the super bowl. Like it's <laughs> probably correct. fine. That's correct. Um, so for me, I, I'm in agreement with you, Nora. It, it, it is it goes Chiefs on one one cut, and then the Ravens and the Bills on the next one. Then a gap in the Browns, and then a big gap, and then the Chargers. That's it for me. But the reason I asked that, I wanted you to bring up the Chargers because Stephen Ruiz's next topic is wow, great segue. What a pro. My question is, how fast can Brandon Staley get that defense up and running? And I asked that because he's coming from a place with the Rams, where he had Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, two of the best five players in football. And those guys allowed him to do a lot of things that he's not going to be able to do with the Chargers. They do have Derwin James, although he's had problems staying healthy. They do have Joey Bosa, who's also had problems staying healthy. But they don't have the depth. They don't have the defensive line depth. They don't have the cornerback depth that the Rams did 
But I do have faith in him doing that because he was able to change that defense up week to week. And he's he comes from the Fangio line where Fangio was, yeah. it doesn't matter what he was working with. The defense was always solid. And I think all it has to do is be solid if Justin Herbert is who we think he is. So I'm high on the Chargers. I think they do have a shot at making a run in the playoffs. I still think they're a year or two away from the Chiefs. So, Nora, you did the most important work of the last year on the Chargers last season when you talked about how they were cursed and you talked to um, different experts in the field of astrology and curses. Um, Explain how the Chargers become uncursed from a football standpoint. Okay, so um, what I found through my reporting for that piece, so the Chargers (laughs) had very bad energy according to um, several mediums, psychics, tarot readers, yeah. what have you. Uh, the good news is that Justin Herbert apparently has very good energy. Um, mm. So what they really need to do is like, they need to make him the face of the team. He needs to take a step forward. They need to build build around him. Um, also, the uniforms have really good energy. So they need to be embracing, like, let's just get as much powder blue as we possibly can, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Can you check back in with your sources and ask if yeah. Drew Brees and Team Gear is, is good or bad for the energy? Oh. If Drew Brees and Jaguars gear, yeah, I'll, I'll check in on that. I still and get emails from gear. those people sometimes. He could do a tour around the league, like fixing the ener- the bad energy around the league. He could put him in some Chargers oh. powder blue. Well, oh, so so that's the other thing is that, um, and I, I should ask the Chargers about this, except I absolutely shouldn't because I would have to, you know, retreat from society and stuff. But it was suggested that they should um, burn sage in the locker room because it would mm. get rid of some of the bad energy. Crystals, also an option. Uh, I want to briefly say that I think that Staley's going to have immediate success. And I think he's going to have immediate success at defense as long as everybody's healthy because they've just got they've got pieces there. And also, by the way, he was he did it pretty quickly with the Rams. He was only there for one year and he got a head coaching job. Yep. And obviously, it's a different level of talent. They don't have the best player in football there. But Joey Bosa is pretty damn good as far as just a elite guy. Um, and then obviously, Der- Derwin James got a LeBron tweet this week. Uh, I love that defense. And I love that franchise. Uh, Nor, have you ever visited a psychic? Um, no, I have not. Okay. Steven? No. Have you? I ha- I have. Well, there's a there's a there's a city by Orlando called Casadega that is just psychics. And uh I went there with a friend of mine in high school. Um we What do you mean it's just psychics? I don't know what to tell you. It's just <laughs> like you psychics. can't live there unless well, I don't. Lit- the, I don't do you mean this literally? Kick you out? I, I yes. I mean it literally. I mean if you go okay, to Casadega, Is there like is there a Florida, CVS? Uh, I don't believe so. No. Is it's there a grocery like, store? I mean, if they do, you wouldn't even need like you know how like Panera, you'd have to like put in the order and they would <laughs> yeah. give it to you five minutes later. Like you wouldn't even need to do that if there was. They a have it ready store. for it. They would have it you ready just for have you. Have your groceries. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's way better than. No, I, it, it's more. It's more like. A, I mean, it, it's not a big town, but yeah, every house is a psychic. Did you did you do like a, a psychic crawl, like a pub crawl, but with psychics? No. So uh, we were in high school uh, and we did not have that much money. Uh, like literally physical money. This was before none of us either of us had credit cards. And uh, psychics, maybe this is just a price fixing scheme in Casadega, but extremely expensive, like way more expensive than I thought. And so we ended up scrounging together like 40 bucks and we ended up seeing one guy. It was like a Tuesday afternoon and he was like, he was really good. He was unbelievable. But what did yeah. he predict for you? Uh, a lot of things. Um, he basically mapped out 
both of mine and my friend's uh, careers, like the next 20 years. He basically pretty much nailed it. So that's, that's that. I, it would take like 10 minutes to explain, but he, the, guy, the guy pretty much nailed it. Why don't we bring him on? That, for that guy? Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good idea, but he pretty much nailed it. I, it it's, a, it's probably a longer form story than I'm, I'm going to get into here because we have to get to my next question. But the Casadega psychics are extremely good is all I'll say about that. Uh, all right. So my next question, what, what, a, what a natural segue. 40 uh, bucks is steep for that. In my old neighborhood in Boston on the, on the sort of main street, Charles Street, um, I did often walk past this thing that was like 15 bucks. You can get your... Yeah, Casadega has a, you know, a higher, a higher price. Point, right. It's like getting pizza fine. in Naples. Yeah. All right. So uh, Wikipedia says that Casadega, Florida, uh, Indian word meaning water beneath the rocks, is a small unincorporated community in Volusia County, Florida, is especially known for having many psychics and mediums and has consequently been named the psychic capital of the world. It's a spiritualist camp. Started in 1875. So. There you go. Tom Petty has right, a song well, about I think it, apparently. I think they're driving <laughs> up the rates. All right. My last question is, what is Matt Nagy's angle here? So we have, we basically, so Justin Fields is, is starting week three of the preseason because uh, Andy Dalton is the week one starter, according to him. Now, there's been some debate about whether or not he's really committed to it. Uh, Chris Sims told Mike Florio a couple of days ago that he thought that, that Matt Nagy was leaving some some doors open as far as um you know he, he keeps saying things like that's what we have to talk about over the next couple of weeks that sort of thing in between talking about how dalton is a starter and sims's point is basically that what is there to talk about if dalton is nailed on week one starter i think that the discourse around week one of the season has become very funny now because we've now turned the rams into like the the ray lewis ed reed Ravens and the 85 bears all into one. Like they're like, you can't feed Justin Fields to the Rams. Wait, why, why not? Like, and in fact, like in the fact, if you're trying to win the game, having an offense that no one's ever seen before is probably a pretty, pretty good idea. Um, and even if you say, okay, Aaron Donald's one of the two best players in the, in football, whatever, like I, I, I have some bad news. Like Justin Fields, you have to play against really good players all the time. He's in the NFL right. now. Like we can't delay that. Um, so I, I'm normally in favor of patience with this kind of stuff, but I really do think that that the more I think about that argument, and again, I was in, in favor of Andy Dalton starting week one earlier in the, in, in the summer, but I don't, the more I think about it, the more I've seen fields, I just don't think they have a leg to stand on. Um, he told Matt Nagy told Mark Podash of the Chicago Sun Times that it, his offense really takes a couple of years to get go get going. <laughs> I can't even read that with a straight face. Um, I explained to, to quote I explained to everybody that this offense it takes a few years to get going. I'm not really sure that's how that works. Um, but anyway, uh, he says to Andy he says about Andy Dalton he says what we're doing right now uh, it makes us feel really good. And and he basically said that they're in a place where they can take off now with the quarterbacks that they have. Uh, Nora, what's going on in Chicago? All right, can I give can I give Matt Nagy some free advice? <laughs> Is it just to not say my offense takes a couple of years to get going? That's part of it. The other part of it. Stop referencing the Chiefs. Oh yeah, I, I would just stop drawing those comparisons. Should he pretend he never worked there? I yes. 
or no, like people know it's like people know, so you don't need to bring it up. Um, I, I think it's probably something that he should just sort of let be in his past. Uh, I think people will, will history will acknowledge that he was a part of that. Um, I just think that with the parallels of, you know, Justin Fields and Mahomes and Alex Smith and Andy Dalton, like maybe we don't need to draw those, those connections quite as starkly, uh, because it might not work out the same way mayhap. And then it's going to seem like a failure if it doesn't. Um, so I actually have come around a little bit to the reasonableness, reasonableness of the keep Justin Fields away from Aaron Donald, at least for week one. I think in general, you're right. Like I, I think in general, look, he's going to have to play against good pass rushers at some point. But if there's one thing that Fields has done that doesn't look great, it's just that he holds onto the ball for a really, really long time. And yes, there's good players all over the NFL, but Aaron Donald is a really special player. And if you're giving him three seconds, Mm -hmm. he's going to get there a lot. Okay. Week two is Miles Garrett. Yeah. I mean then maybe start him week three. Like, if you're not sure, start him week three. Yeah, week three is Dan Campbell. <laughs> start him week three. <laughs> you want, you want, I think a, you start him a, you want a first-time three. quarterback staring over the sidelines and seeing Dan Campbell? You know what I do? You know what, Kevin, I absolutely do. I'd, I'd, I'd be comfortable with that, too. Week, week, four, week four is the Raiders, uh, who, unless that they can trade for Khalil Mack in the next couple of weeks, that's not... That's actually a fine time. But then they have the Packers, then they have the Bucks, then they have the Niners. It's a lot of dogs out there. So how much of this is it Matt Nagy kind of delaying Justin Fields coming onto the field? Because if he's like, if he just shows positive signs in the second yeah, half that, and he didn't that, play. That, that's the big thing. That's what I'm saying. He gets another year. An angle. Yes. What do you think? Map this out for me, Steve. What do you think Nagy has to do? Let's say that they don't make the playoffs this year. What do you think Matt, Matt Nagy needs to do to keep his job? Is it just he, he trots Andy Dalton out there for October until November, he throws Justin Fields out there, and then Fields looks pretty good on an upward trajectory, and then, and then Nagy keeps his job? How does that work? I think you just look at the 2018 Browns, and he has to be Freddie Kitchens and Hugh Jackson, Jackson at the same time, where like the first half doesn't Constant. look great. And then the second half, like Freddie Kitchens made Baker Mayfield look oh, okay, God. good. I didn't, I'm not saying like that's the reason. I'm saying they looked good together. No, I know. The, I, I Nora and I are reacting to the idea of Hugh Jackson and Freddie Freddie Kitchens merging into one person. <laughs> it's <laughs> yes, it's Matt yes. Nagy. But then if that happens and he shows signs in that second half, like the Bears are going to be like, "Oh, this is the right guy." If we just give him another year with Justin Fields, maybe this offense looks better. Maybe this is the year the offense takes off. And I think that's the best way he gets the job next year. Whereas if Justin Fields struggles all year. And then shows a little bit of like some signs in the second half. I still think he loses the job. It's interesting to me because a couple of months ago, and I've actually said this four or five times in the podcast, but someone early on once told me that there's only really like six or seven teams that are trying to win the Super Bowl, and maybe maybe a little more. But then Kyle Shanahan was on Flying Coach, and he was talking about how when he took over the SF job, that he realized the number is like four. So Shanahan has reduced the number of teams in, that are trying to win the Super Bowl. But, but more generally, and this is not Shanahan's point, but this is the point that the person who told me this uh, was making. Most, I'd say like a good 16 teams, it's just about 
for, for on a given year, and let's say the talent to win the Super Bowl, it's mostly about job preservation and saving money. Like if, for 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 if if you're in if you're not in win now mode, and very few teams are, um, I would say about half the league is in that mode. And I think that developing Justin Fields is really important for the franchise. I think that um, there's just a, a, a lot of signs of promise in Chicago, and I think that Justin Fields is going to be a really good NFL quarterback. Uh, but what I would also say is that when you have someone like Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy who have at times gone into January with a lot of questions about whether or not they'd be retain- retained, that has to factor into how you're projecting everything, is that these guys do want to keep their jobs. Um, and you you cannot no – one, no one is selfless enough to – to sacrifice themselves and say Justin Fields is going to be great for for Brian Dable next year, like that's just not going to happen. So that that does factor into the psychology, and we should always be asking ourselves how that works, and, and that's what I'm interested in. So that's it. Uh, anything else, guys? I just want to acknowledge that I think we just told Matt Nagy to uh, downplay that he was part of building the Chiefs yeah. and to become. Um, <laughs> to become a hybrid Hugh Jackson <laughs> Freddie Kitchens. Is that not good career advice? What are you trying to say? Week three. I see nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I see Week nothing three. wrong with that. Week if three. in 2018 someone told you that Matt Nagy would still be talking about what he did with the Chiefs, I don't think the Bears make that higher. So I think Nora's point is a good one. Stop bringing well, up the also, Chiefs. Also, if he was going to tell, the, if you knew he was going to tell the Chicago <laughs> sometimes this offense takes a couple of years to get going. Maybe he did tell Ryan Pace that. A couple years into his tenure or a couple years after like changing the quarterback situation? Every time he gets a new quarterback. I don't we know. need a new, we need another couple of years. I don't know. Like, Stephen, if you were going through the hiring process of the ringer and you were just like, you know, I'm really targeting 2024 to have a good podcast. <laughs> I think there might be some red flags there. Yeah, I don't I think did, I'd be on to this. To be podcast. fair, I did say that. I did say 2024 would be my first best, my first good podcast, but it hurt me anyway. Um, all right, Nora, you want to take us out with highlight reel? Uh, yeah. Okay. So here's what I'm gonna do because I've the Upper East Side of New York City has taken some slander on this podcast. Um, on my block. There's a coffee shop called Hutch and Waldo, and I really, really, really like it. So my highlight reel is finding my neighborhood coffee spot. Is this where we're meeting? Um, yeah, maybe. Although Kevin, I will like I can come. I'll come down. You come west. I guess technically it would be. I think. Yeah, maybe like October. I think let's target. We're targeting 2024. We're targeting 2024. <laughs> my plans um, take a couple of years to come together. Yeah. Stephen, what's good? Literally, what's good? Ah, I wasn't ready for this. Uh, having a cat. I got a cat two months yeah, ago. Yeah, you were mentioning the oh, cat heck yeah. before we got on. Tell us about Wait, the tell cat. us everything about your cat. Her name is Rhonda. Oh. I don't know if she likes me or not yet. It's It's been months, and I still don't know. I don't know. It might take a few years. It might be the Matt Nagy of relationships. It, it might take a few years to take off. But she... I, just having a cat around and like you can like when you're alone in the apartment you can kind of like talk to the cat like it yes. just and you don't feel as crazy like just talking out loud to yourself so that's um, that's my recommendation get a cat i saw a news story recently that um vets are vets have diagnosed a lot of cats with depression during the pandemic because the cats are annoyed that their humans are home all the time and cats just sort of <laughs> want to be left alone uh dogs do not have this problem dogs have thrived 
throughout the last 18 months or whatever. Um, but there, there are several cats who have been sort of down in the dumps because they're just being bothered a little bit more than they would like to be. All right. I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with that explanation for why the cat doesn't like me and not like my, my being. I'm going to well, say it's because oh, no, I'm around all the time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely not you. That's just cat temperament. You're right. But I, I brought the cat to get its nails clipped oh. at a local, at a local grooming place. Don't, don't do that yet. I, I, we, they had to wash the nails first to test it out to see if they could cut the nails. Within two seconds, the guy was like, nope, nope, you, you, no, we can't do anything for this cat. So I had to walk out. Now my cat's nails are still long as hell and she's just scratching up everything. I just want to talk real quick. I tweeted about this a couple weeks ago. I read it on the camp tour and I just want to talk about it here. Barry Switzer wrote a memoir about his time in Oklahoma called Bootlegger's Boy. That is the most insane book I've ever read from someone in football. Um, <laughs> He has a chapter where he goes through all the NCAA allegations against him, which, I mean, it could have been five chapters. And he goes through and he says whether or not he was guilty or innocent. And if he was guilty and he admits to some of them, he just explains why he did it. And uh, it's amazing. At one point, he has an entire chapter comparing himself to Jay Gatsby. But at the beginning, he points out that he didn't know who Jay Gatsby was until someone at a party compared him to Jay Gatsby. Um, he there was a point where I want to get this this phrasing right. Someone took a gun to the quad and started shooting on the Oklahoma football team, um, like just like at a party. They just started shooting a gun, and he makes clear it was not not as the media reported a semi-automatic <laughs> weapon. It was just a regular gun. <laughs> well, that's an, in that that's case, an important distinction. Wow. That is a trip. I just can't get enough of it. I just can't get enough of it. We might have to cut you off from using books as your highlights, but that was a good entry. So you're you're on notice, but you're not, not cut off yet. What do you want me to enter into this the damn season two Ted Lasso discourse? <laughs> I wouldn't hate it. Everybody's mad about that show. I haven't even started it. Everybody's mad about it. I know. I haven't started season two either. I haven't started either season. I watched one episode. I, I wasn't into it, but I'm afraid to say that on Twitter because I feel like everyone loves that show. I think people like it less and less now. I don't understand what's going on. Like Every time I turn on Twitter, someone just extremely mad about it. I don't really get it. I was having a conversation um, with someone last night about uh, Zach Braff being involved in that show which mm. reminded me of something else that uh, this I can recommend to people. I don't know, do you guys remember the old Fox and Friends sketches on SNL? Mm -hmm. mm, I actually don't. I'm, there was I'm like so a they, bunch they of corrections at they the had, end. They had, right. Okay. So Steven is going where I'm going. Um, they had, it was just a spoof, but at the end, the funniest part of it was that they would run like fake corrections. And right. so there would be a scroll of things that they like supposedly got wrong during the sketch. And if you were just watching live, like they would, they would go up on the screen too fast to see what they actually said, but they were always incredible. And like, I, you could imagine that the writer's room was just sort of riffing and coming up with stuff and having a really mm -hmm. fun time writing those. So I would always go to YouTube or whatever and find it and scroll through them and pause it so that I could read them. They were absolutely hysterical. One that has always stuck with me was that. There was one episode where one of the corrections said, Zach Braff is not the sound a trumpet makes. <laughs> and that's, just, I Pretty think good. about that an awful lot. So that's, that's a recommendation. That's a highlight. Wow. 
All right. Um, we'll be hopefully we'll be back next week. After that, who knows? Who's um, to say? Was, was the recommendation going to? to I'm not sure which YouTube my, and watching. No, my rec- yeah. Yes, the 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 highlight is Pausing. going to YouTube and and watching the corrections reel from those SNL sketches. Solak was on vacation today. He's visiting his parents. Not committed to the grind. Uh, he'll be back next week. Um, we'll be back on Monday. This has been the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. Thank you to Isaiah Blakely for production help and additional production supervision by Arjuna Rampagal.